Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. Hello, Cashflow Ninjas. MC Lobsher here, and welcome to another episode of the Cashflow Ninja. I have a great show for you today. And in today's show, we're going to look at how you can boost multifamily investment returns. Ellie is a real estate investor who owns over 2,000 units across the United States worth over $250 million. Ellie is also the founder and CEO of Blue Lake Capital, a real estate investing firm specializing in multifamily investments. At Blue Lake Capital, Ellie helps investors grow their wealth and get double-digit returns by investing alongside her in large multifamily deals they usually don't have access to. Prior to founding Blue Lake Capital, Ellie was a commercial real estate lawyer and property manager. Ellie is also the host of the podcast, That Really Happened, Unbelievable Real Estate Stories, and also a contributing author for Forbes. Ellie graduated from the MBA program at MIT and holds a master's in law. She started her career as a commercial real estate lawyer leading real estate transactions for Africa Israel, Israel's largest development company. Later as a property management for one of Israel's most prominent oil and gas companies, she oversaw properties worth over $100 million. If you're interested in joining our investors group, you can go to cashflowninja.com forward slash investors group and fill out an application form and or email me at info cashflowninja.com to start the discussion to see if you're a good fit for our group. If you are in the Philadelphia, Bucks County, and Southern New Jersey area, we are hosting live investors meetup events every month in Newtown, Pennsylvania. For more information on the monthly live events and information on how to join us at our next live event, you could go to cashflowninja.com forward slash events. MC Lobshire, the host of the Cashflow Ninja podcast and also the president and chief wealth and investment strategist of Producers Wealth, where we help our clients integrate cashflow banking, also known as infinite banking, with their business and investments. If you're interested in learning more about how we create strategies that integrate cashflow banking and investments to turbocharge them, you can access a video series at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's your own banking system.com. Ellie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah, so glad to connect. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us today. I think a good place to start, Ellie, is if you could share a little bit about your journey and your background with my listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I actually started my uh, career in real estate. Um, Many years ago as a commercial lawyer, and um, I was uh, working on uh, very exciting development deals and then realized that I wanted to be on the other side. I wanted to make those decisions and buy lands and and properties. So um, long story short, I I got into real estate investment um, and um, several years later, and I, I buy multifamily properties in uh, in in selected markets um, across the U.S. and um, w- w- I do it with other investors. So we we uh, I find partners and um, I help investors find the best deals that are out there right now. Um, and basically, that's what I do. 
Now, you, you as, a, as a lawyer saw firsthand how people were analyzing and evaluating the deals. What were some of the other things that were very attractive uh, about real estate and multifamily real estate for you to get involved in that asset class? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I love the potential that I saw in, in, in just growing your wealth in an unbelievable way. I was, a, you know, I was paid very uh, handsomely um, as a lawyer, but there was a limit to how much I, money I could make and how, you know, there was kind of a limit on my success. And then on the other hand, I saw companies that bought properties and um, invested time and, and effort and money. And then I just saw how their investment grew significantly, and I understood that I was um, kind of in the wrong space. Um, and you know, for me, as working as as an employee, there's a limit to how much money I can make and how successful I can be. Um, and that's one of the things that actually, um, I think the main thing was just to see the amazing potential that investment, especially real estate, can bring in. And even though I, I went with my clients through 2008, it was not easy. But they're still, I mean, they're still doing you know, pretty well, even today. From a philosophical approach to wealth creation, is there a framework that you utilize uh, and use for decision making? And what are some of the checklists that you're looking at uh, for deals when they come across your desk? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. My my philosophy is look at the worst case scenario. And if the deal works with the worst case scenario, then it's a good deal. And, and I'll explain what that means. So right now, as you know, we're in a great real estate market. In, uh, I mean, rents are increasing. Um, the demand for all types of real estate, in, including multifamilies on the rise, and especially multifamily. So it's easy to, to think that if this continues in the next five, seven, or 10 years, as long as you're going to hold a the property, then that's what's going to, you know, if, if it's really tempting to think that that would continue and look at a deal through the lens, through an optimistic lens of this, you know, a strong real estate market. But today we, um, you know, we're, we don't know if we're at the peak yet because it's always, um, you always need to look back and evaluate how the market was doing. But I look at it for, through a very different lens. I'm, I'm a, personally, I'm a very optimistic person. But when it comes to investing, I'm uh, I'm more pessimistic. So um, I'm gonna I'm not going, for instance, to um, assume that rents are going to grow as much as they are today in the future. So right now, if in a certain submarket that we're investing in uh, in Dallas, for instance, some of the submarkets we have great rent growth of four percent. So I'm not going to assume that this is going to continue every year until I'm going to sell the property because that can be a little dangerous because what if it doesn't? So I'm actually assuming that it's going to be that the, um, that the rent growth is going to slow down. Could be 2%, 2.5%, maybe 3%, but it's never going to be as good as it is today. I'm also, when I run the numbers, um, I also check what happens if rents are not increasing at all and we have 0% rent growth. So I, I'm not expecting to see huge profit, but I want to make sure uh, in that scenario at least, but I want to make sure 
that I'm not losing money, that if something happens, if the market crashes tomorrow, that I'll be able to hold on to the property. It's still going to be um, cash flowing, not maybe significantly as it, it, as it does today, but I want to make sure that it's a safe investment. What are some of the markets uh, that you operate in, Ellie? Uh, you mentioned Dallas. Uh, what are some of the other markets that you look at uh, for, for deals and why are they attractive to you? Sure. So I, I usually f- go where, where other people, you know, go and that's the only area in my life when I do that. Um, but I, I've, uh, I've analyzed the, the U.S. markets and um, I, I realized that many people move to Florida and Texas and they're actually the um, two states, the top two states for internal migration. So most people in the U.S. move to either Texas or Florida. And I can understand that. I mean, obviously we have, uh, you know, tens of millions of baby boomers right now and a lot of them are migrating to Florida. It's warm. Uh, The cost of living is cheaper than in core markets um, like San Francisco, LA, New York, and and the same for Texas. So um, we have, you know, Texas is great when it comes to attracting to attracting new employers, and that brings more uh, ten- more potential tenants, and the demand keeps increasing for multifamily properties. So these are my main two markets. I'm also looking uh, into Georgia right now, but I always look at three uh, at three uh, points of growth. I'm looking at when I'm evaluating the market. I'm looking at rent growth has to be positive and on the rise. I'm looking at um, at uh, job growth, and I'm looking at population growth. And all those three types of growth are pretty much connected to one another because when when there's a job growth, that brings people, so you have population growth. And when more people come to a certain area, a certain sub-market or a market, then that brings, that actually, um, the main reason why there's um, rent growth. So if I see a market that has all those three, in addition, it has to be, um, the, in any market that I invest in has to be landlord friendly market. So that's how I choose my markets. What are some of the biggest multifamily trends that you're seeing? You'd mentioned that it's getting a little bit frothy, but what are some of the other factors uh, that you're looking at? Obviously you'd mentioned one is the migration, right? Tech, Texas is a big one. A lot of people moving from California to Texas and Arizona. And then Florida is getting a huge influx. And uh, the baby boomer trend is, is a big one playing into that because people like to go and retire uh, down in Florida. Um, obviously, there's other, other factors as well. But what are some of the biggest trends uh, besides uh, the migration too that you're seeing out there? Uh, in terms of markets, I definitely see uh, more and more demand generally speaking, for uh, multifamily properties. And that's for two main two reasons. One is you have a lot of baby boomers that are uh, scaling down. They don't want to have big houses. Um, their kids left the house and they want to move to a more comfortable setting. Uh, and some of them are moving to condos or small apartment or apartment buildings that, um, that you know, they have everything is taken care of. It's, um, it's kind of a long vacation for them. And then on the other hand, you have the uh, millennials and millennials Unlike the previous generation, they're not in a hurry to buy single-family homes and to 
um, ground themselves into, you know, tie themselves into one um, area. They want to be able to move where the job, you know, is, is going to take them to. So they tend to lack that flexibility and they have, they, they've also, um, they prefer multifamily properties. They prefer to have, to live in an apartment than to buy a house and just stay in one place for years. So um, I think where the population so I'm I'm also looking at that. I I think that's that's one trend that I see. Um, and then you know I think that generally speaking, the demand for multifamily is going to it, it's here and it's here to stay. I don't think it's going to slow down anytime sooner. So you're operating in the multifamily space. Was there um, other uh, asset classes that you looked at as well? Self storage, uh, mobile home parks, and so forth, or will the multifamily continue to be your main focus? That's my main focus. Um, I know it's a challenging market because we have a lot of investors that are interested in multifamily, and rightly so, it's a strong market. Um, but I believe in um, staying focused and uh, sticking to uh, our decision of staying with multifamily. So it means that we're going to do maybe, you know, fewer deals than we thought we would because most deals actually don't work with, uh, with our very conservative underwriting. And that's fine. Um, there, I, I know syndicators, some syndicators and some investors are moving to other asset classes and that's, it's their decision. There's nothing wrong with that. I prefer to stay in that market because I think there's going to be a, um, there's an advantage of, of sticking around, even if it's hard, because when there's going to be a shift or a correction, we're going to be there to seize all the opportunities. Um, and, and that's totally fine. It, it's real estate. It's, um, it's sometimes it, it can be a waiting game and I'm perfectly fine waiting for the right opportunities. No, I like that. Uh, staying uh, focused on your market, staying focused on what you do and not getting distracted and being patient and being disciplined, uh, which ties into my next question. What are some of the, the ways that people can analyze uh, and analyze syndic syndicators? Because right now it's a rising market. Uh, there's, it's a little bit frothy. There's a lot of people coming in into this market. There's a lot of syndicators out there. What are some of the things that that listeners can look at when they're evaluating syndicators? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think that when investors are looking into you know investing with syndicators, there are two kind of levels of vetting. The first one is, do you like the that the syndicator, the person that you want to you know handle your money and invest it? Do you trust this person? It, it, it comes before you even look at their experience and their track record because he's going to be your partner for the next three, five, seven, ten years. And you have to trust and like that person because this is the guy who you're entrusted, you know, you're, you're, he, he's the person who's going to take your money and, and invest it. So I think that's a key thing. And, and there's no real way um, to you know, to I don't have any feedback or, or advice about that. You just know it when you meet someone if you like the person or not. You can read about um, that person. Usually, syndicators have websites so you can read about their background um, and see if you connect with them. Um, and I always say that if you have a chance to meet with that with the syndicators, do so um, because that can really give you an insight about um, whether this is someone you would like to do business with. And the second kind of part of vetting the syndicator is understanding how they think and understand 
how they actually analyze deals. Um, and it's a little bit tricky because usually syndicators have all the information and the knowledge on how to run numbers and how to uh, you know, choose market and choose deals. But there are several ways that you can, uh, that as a passive investor, um, you can actually vet the sponsor and understand if the sponsor is conservative enough. Um, and, you know, one of them, of course, is looking at the numbers um, and, and ask to see the underwriting and make sure that the syndicator is conservative in their underwriting. And um, also, I, I wrote some articles about that as well. But basically, you can, I, the one thing I, I see that most investors uh, don't look at when they evaluate a deal with a syndicator, they don't look at the the exit cap rate. And that's one of the main things that actually, uh, one of the main factors in every underwriting, in every analysis that it has a huge effect on the returns. So my advice would be to check what the, you know, what is the cap rate when the building is is being sold right now and what is the cap rate? It's called the reversion cap or exit cap. What would be the cap rate when the, um, when you're going to sell the property and look at the ratios between those two numbers, because right now the cap rate in the U S is about 5%. Uh, there are deals anywhere between, uh, you know, also 4.7, depending on the, um, you know, on the property in the area. But if you buy something at a five cap and you think that you're going to sell it in five years in four and a half or five cap, that's been highly aggressive because you're basically uh, saying that the market is going to be better or as strong five years from now. So the lower the cap rate, the, um, the higher the purchase price is. You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. We will be right back after a word from our sponsors. My friend Dave Zook says, you can be conventional or you can be wealthy. Pick one. Dave and his team at The Real Asset Investor have syndicated many successful real estate and ATM projects over the last decade. Now his team has an exclusive opportunity for investors in the coal space. Do you want to be part of an energy project that takes conventional coal and cleans it up by extracting liquids while releasing almost zero emissions? The sale of these liquids can produce strong double-digit cash flow and aggressive tax benefits against ordinary income, all while using America's number one most plentiful resource in a responsible, efficient manner. Now that's non-conventional. For more information on this exclusive opportunity, you can visit therealassetinvestor.com or contact the Real Asset Investor team at info at therealassetinvestor.com. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the United States. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Learn how to find the best deals by downloading your free copy of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. 
You're listening to The Cashflow Ninja, the show helping people all over the world create monthly cash flow and achieve freedom today, not in 10, 20, 30, and or 40 years. This is the show where cash is not king, but cash flow is king. Now let's return to our interview. So you would have to kind of look at it and say, what happens if I sell this at an eight or a 10 cap, right? If the market, if the market seriously corrects and hasn't, hasn't rebounded. Yeah. And it depends on the market. And I mean, I, I think moving from five cap to eight cap or 10 cap is, is, uh, is a significant jump. I don't even know if the markets are, if the market's going to crash and, and you're going to get to, the, you know, such high cap rates, but it definitely should be higher than the cap rate at purchase. Um, and you know, the cap rate is, it's basically the ratio between the purchase price and the net operating income. So you want to make sure you kind of understand the market. Um, I see many, you know, I, I think being conservative is, is um, assuming, um, let's say, 50 basis points or uh, one point above the cap rate at purchase. So I don't want to get too technical, but, you know, usually, let's say, if, if I buy a property at a five cap rate and I'm assuming that I'm going to sell it at six cap, in certain markets, depends how strong the markets are. But in strong markets, I, I think sometimes that could be um, that could be pretty good and see if the the deal works. If the market is going to be stronger than you think, then more power to you. That's great. You're going to get you know your returns are going to be much higher than you anticipated. But just understand back to your question. Just understand how the syndicator thinks. If they're conservative enough. For instance, how long do they think if, you know, if they're renovating an apartment building, how long do they think it, it will take them? If their expectation is unrealistic and they think they can renovate a four, uh, you know, a five, a 500 unit uh, building uh, in seven months, I don't think that's doable. So, you know, ask questions um, and understand how aggressive or conservative they are. And there's nothing wrong about being aggressive if this is what you feel comfortable with. Uh, you know, if, if you have uh, some money to play around with and you decide to go with an aggressive investment and more a riskier investment, that's totally fine if this is the type of investor that you are. I, I, I think for me coming, you know, uh, from a legal background, I'm very conservative and that's, um, and that my reputation is also very important. So I make sure that, um, my assumptions are very, very conservative, but that's who I am. It doesn't, you know, some people want, some investors want to be, you know, invest in a more aggressive, um, you know, opportunities and that's totally fine. So just understand how the syndicator thinks and how aggressive or conservative the syndicator is and make sure it's a good match to who you are and your appetite for risk. That ties into my next question with value adds and management strategies. What are some of the strategies that you look at in some of these projects um, that you feel comfortable with? Because obviously you'd mentioned a couple, a number of, you know, the renovation and aggressively renovating large buildings. What are some of the strategies that you uh, see in uh, as part of the, the overall plan uh, and management plan that you feel comfortable with and that's aligned with your risk profile? Sure. So I'm looking at um, mainly at value add deals, which means that we're we're buying a building that is um, uh, it could be mid 90s, and the building looks good. It's not falling apart, but it needs 
some sort of a facelift. Uh, and that's the value that we're adding to the building where basically we can say, okay, the units need some renovation. So we're going to put five or $6,000, $7,000 and um, just, you know, put new uh, granite countertops, um, floors and, and paint the apartment. So we add value to the property so we can justify rent increases. Um, and besides the units, we also um, like to look at the amenities and say, okay, which amenities need a facelift need to be replaced? Um, perhaps the gym is too old. Maybe it's too small. We want to open it and, um, uh, and, and just build a, a bigger um, a gym or add a yoga room, which is very, especially in Florida, it's, it's very um, popular right now. Um, uh, a bike storage room or um, just a, an Amazon facility uh, kind of um, office so tenants can get their, um, uh, their packages 24-7 without going through the leasing office. So um, you're actually looking at an a, a, a an apartment building as as a um, as a whole and think what can I do to improve the value? It can be also adding a dog park that is very very popular. Um, so that's basically what we do. That that's the value component, and in terms that's the main strategy. And I personally like properties that the current ownership that the owner. Um, actually took a small part of the property, renovated it, and increased the rent. So that's what we call proven value add. Because let's say if you're going to buy 300 units and 20 units has uh, ha- have been um, renovated, so now the interior is a lot nicer and the, the owner is, is able to get $120 more in rent per month per of those units. So for us coming in, that's a safe, a safer investment because we know that this property is able to generate higher rents. So we're just going to duplicate similar, um, similar or maybe nicer levels of renovation, and we know that we can get those premiums and increase the the um, the, the cash flow of the property. What if uh, what has been the single greatest lesson that you've learned on your journey in your real estate uh, career? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, only one lesson. Um, only one lesson. I think being patient is is um, is something that I've learned uh, throughout my career. I've seen people get into trouble um, by being a little bit aggressive or unrealistic, or really, really, you know, have that strong desire to close the deal. Um, and, uh, I, I recently, I, I was uh, speaking at an event in Denver a few months ago and I heard a really, um, a, a, uh, a good, um, kind of phrase that it's better to be down here on the ground than to be on a, than to be wishing that you, that you were on a plane, but being here on the ground than to be on the plane, wishing you were down here. So, uh, I think just, you know, making peace with the fact that this is, we're in one of the hottest um, kind of investment uh, and more, most interesting times when it comes to investment, especially of real estate. Uh, so that's one one of the main things that I've learned, just be patient and um, play with your money in a very smart way, you know, and not not feel the need to go with 
where everyone else, you know, goes and um, just uh, stick to your criteria and um, and to your values. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. You should know, you know, what you stand for and what where you want to invest and just stick to it. Now, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful people is that they're always studying new subjects and learning new skill sets. What are you currently studying and what new skill sets are you currently learning? Um, so I'm actually reading um, um, Blue Ocean Strategy. That's a great book that was written by uh, two Harvard professors. And uh, these are kind of the skills that I'm, the, the skills that the book actually teaches is, is kind of to think differently um, and not to compete with everyone else, but to create your own opportunities and create your own blue ocean and create um, new opportunities. So I'm, I'm trying to read about um, one and a half books a week. Uh, sometimes I read two books a week, sometimes only one. Um, but I, I always get, um, you know, I, I like to learn about um, management, especially time management. Um, but this is one of the, the best books that I've, I've read so far. That's one of the skills that I'm trying um, to gain, just to think differently, strategically, to, um, to train my brain to think differently, to see the market in a different, through different lenses and not follow what everyone else is doing. Now, our core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? The first one would definitely be that anything is possible. Absolutely anything. Anything is possible. Um, it's I, I came from nothing. I started from you know I was born to a very uh, poor family, and I've worked my way, you know, out of that situation. And and that um, you know I, I've changed my destiny. And I don't know if I even believe in in destiny, um, but I think that once you understand that everything is possible, something in the chemistry of your brain changes, and your behavior, and how other people around you. Uh, how they perceived you, and you're starting to make decisions uh, in in a conscious and non-conscious way that support the notion that anything is possible, absolutely anything is possible. I think that's the one thing um, that I would definitely um, would want to pass along to my to my future generation. That's something that my parents always told me. There's nothing you can't do. You can get whatever you want. You can do whatever. You can be whoever you want to be. So even though they had no money to give me, um, I think what they gave me was was something that you can't even evaluate in money. And I think, and that's one of the you know a, a great value that I I think you know I would definitely want to pass along to my kids. And then I think the second thing that I would say is go against the flow. Don't look at what everyone else is doing, um, unless you want to be like everyone else. But for me, it really worked in, in my life and my personal and my professional life when I did the opposite of what people did, not just for the sake of doing the opposite thing, but because it didn't feel right to me. Um, so I would uh, you know, encourage my future generation and everyone else was actually listening to questions, just question everything um, around you and, and um, things that people take for granted. Uh, so for instance, when I, I, I went to law school and uh, I worked really hard to get into law school and really hard during law school for four years, 
Um, and I, I got two degrees in law and I was very, very much invested in that and I became a lawyer. And then as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, I realized that I didn't want to be uh, on that side, on the passive side of investing, um, in, you know, giving advice and managing my clients' investments on the legal side. I wanted to be a, an investor. But most of my classmates... Uh, they just they didn't like what they were doing either, but they decided to stick, you know, and uh, to their to their jobs. And some of them are still lawyers today. They're very unhappy, but that's what everyone else around us were doing. We were, you know, everyone in class we graduated and became lawyers. And I never cared about what other people thought and what they did. And I didn't see myself as part of the herd. Um, so just question whether your reality is what it should be. Um, and then the last value would be, uh, it's kind of connected to the first one, but be true to yourself. And it sounds maybe a little corny, but what I mean by that is know who you are and don't try to change it. Don't try to change yourself to fit some mold or some framework or some some image that someone thinks that that's how you should be or should behave. Uh, and I think if you think that everything is possible, if you go against the flow and stay true to yourself. These are the things that helped me get to where I am today and, and um, you know, become truly happy. And I think if people are going to follow that, they're also going to be happy and hopefully also successful. Ellie, where can my listeners learn more about you? Where can they follow you? And where can they stay informed of all of the projects that you're involved with? Sure. So, um your listeners can actually read about me um, at ellieperlman.com. Uh, you can also Google my name, Ellie Perlman, so you'll see uh, my website. Um, I, I run a company called Blue Lake Capital, so they can go to bluelake-capital.com and they can see all the projects that we're involved with as well. Um, and, um, I mean, all the information is there on, on those two websites, so... Um, I guess that's, uh, and they can also shoot me an email at um, Ellie, it's E-L-L-I-E, at bluelake-capital.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for my listeners. Absolutely. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Life settlement investments have allowed financial and banking institutions to not only buy their equity contractually, but also diversify their capital from any economic, market, and geopolitical risk. It's been part of the billion-dollar blueprint followed by institutional investors. And if you're an accredited investor, you can also now participate in this vehicle with enormous growth potential. You can watch an informational webinar presented by one of the premier organizations providing life settlement investments for number of solutions at cashflowninja.com forward slash life settlements. Thank you again for joining me on the Cashflow Ninja. If you like what you hear and appreciate what we're trying to build here, please subscribe, rate, and write a review for our show on iTunes and share our show with family, friends, and your network. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can sign up for our newsletter at cashflowninja.com. I want to thank you for spending your most precious resource with me today, your time. Until next time, my friend, live a life of passion and purpose on your terms.
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.